Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here today in a very quiet city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Chaloner and today I'm joined by Stuart Gibbons. Stuart is the Managing Director of Investment Management Firm Millback Wealth Limited. Stuart, welcome to the programme. Great to have you on with us today. Yeah, thank you. Um, little uh, little quiet where we are, and I hope it's not too uh, echoey. No, um, you're coming through just uh, fine, Stuart. I'm sure the listeners uh, can hear just fine. Um, first and foremost, um, this podcast is all about the topic of leadership and effective leadership at that. But um, what does that word leader actually mean to you? Um, I think from my point of view, it's taking the ultimate responsibility, i.e. the buck stops here. Um but in doing that, you have to have a team of people around you that uh, enable you to achieve what your um, business model was set out to do. Um, we were quite fortunate when we started out. Um, I had a, had a change of background because of uh, 2008. So 2009, I acquired Millback. Um, that relationship was... Um, firmed up uh, almost by chance in a way because we had a relationship um, with a big pension fund company who owns some of the shares, B shares in the company. Um, so we put a team of people together who were really quite motivated um, to achieve uh, things beyond what they had originally anticipated. And I think that the leadership side, certainly from my point of view, was let's give these guys the opportunity to see where they can get to and always have the opportunity to come back and speak to us about the various projects we were currently working on, which at that time was uh, pension fund investments and giving them the head to come up with ideas, uh, strategy towards marketing, and also how we were going to interact with um, uh, people of different um, backgrounds who had at that time pension funds and wanted to invest money. Uh, A lot of that had to do with who we were speaking to and uh, getting feedback from the pension fund companies. Uh, Interesting enough, I mean, it was far way beyond what my experience actually was at that time, um, which I can go back into. So I, I became a sort of a professional person, um, but always with a bit of entrepreneurial flair, which I always thought was vital to um, make sure a company flourished, that it went forward and did all the things that it wanted to do, and that everybody involved really got the benefit of it um, financially. And so they felt comfortable. I never wanted anybody to feel that they were working in an environment where they felt intimidated. And I always felt that that open-door policy was always there. Um, I think that's pretty important when you're starting up a business, which was a start-up um, to, uh, in 2009, although it was an existing company. It has laid a bit dormant for a while. 
But from there onwards, it, it sort of excelled. And um, at that point, we were fundraising for projects using pension fund funds from private investors. Uh, but those projects had to be approved by the pension fund companies. So it became successful. Um, and since then, we've gone on to do other interesting things as well as a offshoot of, of, of that. Um, so startup management, it was never, it was ne- never the fact that there was a secretary sitting there who had to be approached to actually have a conversation. It was always um, the opportunity to just have a conversation with me directly and come up with different plans and objectives. And I think that the marketing strategy of any company has to be key. And of course, online um, was massive um, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger as we went through. So we were always working on, on, on that aspect of, you know, our SEO for our websites and how we were going to get that to go forward. And then we expanded out into how we must make sure we never miss a call. And we were, were never a nine to five operation. Um, I never believed in that. I've never actually thought that you leave the office and that's it, it's all over. We, we always, we were always open and for our clients, they could have called us any time. Um, so we, we, we set up various call centers that picked up calls out of office hours, answered as our company and then transferred over to whoever was dealing with that in, individual client. Um, other things have happened in between that. Um, and I suppose I'm jumping the gun a bit here now, but we got involved in the care home sector um, and we currently own a number of care homes. Um, that's very challenging at this moment in time, but mm. very topical. Um, we um, you know, have major issues with PPE, uh, which... Um, we're having to source from overseas ourselves in some instances. And that, that's, um, that's quite an interesting business. But going forward for us, that's excellent. In between that, probably about 12 months ago, I sat on a park bench on the top of Hampstead Heath and I thought, thank God for climate change, it was 22 degrees. And as I thought of that, a... Um, uh, someone came up on my phone and says, don't go to Oxford Circus, there's a boat in the middle of it. And at that point, I sat down and registered the climate change bond and the climatechangebond.com. So that business has been, um, which I stood down from as MD, but uh, I'm the founder and obviously the shareholder, majority shareholder, but that, that will come to fruition. Um, to raise funds for climate change um, businesses or businesses in that sector who are looking to provide um, technology that will make a difference. Of course, in this particular atmosphere, uh, it's not appropriate to go forward with that at this moment in time. So I think I'm trying to actually pinpoint my, my style I'm an entrepreneurial sort of guy. Um, I don't have any university education whatsoever. 
uh, I've always come up with a few nice ideas, but I've always had teams of people who have been very respectful. And I've never had so many calls, being a, an older statesman now, from people I haven't spoken to for about 10 years, just checking, am I okay? So I guess I must have done something right when we started off uh, making sure that people were happy and, and, and fine. And I think the point of being an MD of a company is if, if you give, give people the respect that they would, would like and not bully them, then you get the best out of out of um, your employees, and uh, mm. they uh, they make a major contribution towards the sort of company that you would um, you would hope to achieve. Absolutely, and businesses who have taken that approach um, that you have, uh, Stuart, will certainly be reaping the benefits of that now because businesses in this COVID-19 outbreak are having to rely on their employees to be a lot more self-motivated and take on leadership themselves because they're working from home and working much more independently, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, most, uh, certainly on the investment side, everybody's working from home. But we have... um, quite a few hundred employees who go in every day to the care homes. And um, we have the utmost respect for what they do. Uh, you know, we, 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 it's very challenging. It was a good business. Um, it was always a challenging business because you had various elements to look after. And staff-wise, um, they are phenomenal. Um, my only issue is, as I said, that we have to start now importing from overseas our own PPE equipment, which basically is face masks. They're just a big, big knack of them. Uh, but um, from a business point of view, we're running at full capacity. So, you know, that, that's good. That's good for us. Um, but we do obviously have concerns about this the virus. I don't see anything changing before the end of June personally. And from a personal point of view, I'm not going to get on a plane uh, until I'm inoculated because I can't see the, uh, the benefit of doing that. Um, so that's, uh, that's uh, where I would be coming from in relation to how the virus is, is out there. And unfortunately, I get to get first-hand information if somebody... Uh, looks like they were going to pass away and they'd be moved over to a hospital from our care home. So I'm getting reports on a daily basis. So it's it's, it's quite interesting um, how the various businesses that I'm involved with, uh, although the climate fund hasn't launched yet, but it will do. But it's just ideas and it's getting people together and bringing in the right parties to make sure all these things happen. So, future, I think that we're going to look at 25% less businesses around at the end of all this, potentially 2 million unemployed. Um, I think working from home will be part and parcel of your your flexi hours that you would, you would do if you were a business. Um, from our point of view, we're expanding uh, our care home business acquisitions. Um, so the future looks, um, in, in, even in this environment, quite you know, relatively good for us uh, as <clears throat> the care system 
requires us more and more and more. But again, that was something I just dropped into purely by accident. But uh, mm. there we go. Absolutely. And um, it can quite often be the case, can't it, that um, some um, good things can come along very much by accident. It's very much a learning curve for business leaders as they go along. And sometimes things do come about by chance. It is just one of those things. Um, I have to say, uh, Stuart, um, what, um, based upon the business experience that you've, of course, um, accumulated, before I do let you go, do you have any advice for the next uh, generation of leaders who will be starting leadership roles and will have to not necessarily navigate this crisis, but also manage their businesses going forward following this outbreak and the consequences of that? Yeah, well, I think it's a question of, um, as you're doing well, that's fine. But don't turn up in a Rolls Royce and a gold Rolex, right? Just be a little bit humble in how you treat your clients and you also how you treat your staff. Um, and I think the word humble um, which I think comes from something called Spiders, um, Charlotte's Web, as I recall, a book I read once, or to my kids. Um, humble is pretty good thing to be in life. I think that's very sound think, advice indeed. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Um, I've got to say, Stuart, it's been um, incredibly insightful um, and also an absolute pleasure um, having you on uh, today's programme to share these views with the listeners. And what I think would actually be fantastic is to perhaps have you back on in a few months to maybe look at this retrospectively and just see how some of those hopes, both for the business and for the whole country, as it were, have been borne out. Um, But for now, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me today. My pleasure and keep safe, everybody. Yes, absolutely. Um, It's strange times indeed um coming up Cheers. next um on the uh, the program of course um i'll be handing over to jonathan white for his exclusive interview with 1966 world cup hero sir jeff hurst sir jeff as well as scoring over 200 league goals for the likes of west ham united and stoke city remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a world cup after his treble in england's 40 win over germany at the old wembley along 54 years ago I hope you enjoy speaking, listening to um, the interview with Sir Jeff just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with him and that will be coming up right next. Uh, we're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, 
whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there... It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? 
Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that, that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was, I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, Jeff, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be you know, be involved in the squad initially. 
Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back now, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. It, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great, hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and the most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, if you, 
if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader, um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing Teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. 
I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. Well, I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. They, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the... Um, uh, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is showed, the, word is, the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, if looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, 
and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.